So with your copy of God's word in hand, I want to invite you to turn in there with me to the fourth chapter of Mark's gospel, to Mark chapter 4. In light of the circumstances of this, this past week, I can think of no more encouraging word to share with you this morning than a word about how Jesus can calm the storms. No more soothing word to your soul, no more encouraging of a word to your heart than this. Whatever storm you are facing in life right now, Jesus can do something about it, won't he do it? What I want to do this morning is I, I want to begin by reading aloud God's word. This word will serve as the basis for everything that I want to share with you this morning. We are going to read God's word, and then I want to breathe a quick word of prayer, and then we will listen as hopefully God speaks to all of us this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 4. Beginning in verse, oh man, it, it's, I never thought it would come to a point where I would need one of those large print Bibles, but it's getting, <laughs> it's getting there. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. Did I read that right? <laughs> I'm reading out of the Christian standard version of God's holy word. You may be reading out of the NIV Uh, But please feel free to follow in whatever version of God's word that you're most comfortable with. Someone pointed to the screen. If I can't read something that's less than six inches away from me, (laughs) I don't know if I can read something that's more than 15 feet. My Bible reads this way. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Notice the contrast, the the furious storm. And Jesus is in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I want to focus our attention on a question, but really an accusation, that the disciples make in verse 29. When they wake Jesus up, they they accuse him of not caring about him. They, They say to Jesus, Teacher, don't you 
care if we drown. The word of God for the people of God. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for the opportunity, Lord God, to, to worship you this morning. And as we have worshiped you in song, Lord God, we, we know that you've made a way for us. And as we have worshiped you in our, in our testimony and through our giving, Lord, we pray that you would now give us the grace to allow us to worship you through your word. We pray that you would speak great and incredible truths to our hearts that your word contains, Father God. And we also pray, Lord God, that our hearts would be open and receptive to receive everything that your word wishes to teach us this morning. And Father, I also pray for myself. Lord God, because you are in your word, that every time we open your word, we encounter you. We pray that your people would not be distracted by your preacher, but rather instead, you alone would be exalted as your word is explained. And we pray this in the matchless and mighty name of Jesus. And all who are God's people and present this morning said, Amen. Amen. With the release of his latest CD, Donda, my favorite rapper has added another chapter to his storied history. I love Kanye West. Not just because of his music. I love Kanye West because he also, at times, speaks the absolute and complete truth. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Kanye West speaks the truth? You mean the same person who called slavery a choice? <laughs> the same person who endorsed Donald Trump as president? You mean the same person who was selling white t-shirts for $100, that Kanye West? Yes, that Kanye West. Because throughout his history, he's told us things that nobody else was willing to tell us. Remember back in 2009 at the MTV Music Awards when, when Taylor Swift won the award for best musical video and she was competing against and she won the award over Beyonce's video for single ladies. Remember only Kanye West had the heart to tell us what we were all thinking. As good as Taylor Swift's video may have been, now I don't know because I never saw it, I just know that it was in no way better than... <laughs> he, he was telling the truth when he said Beyonce deserved that video music award. And, and remember, in, in one of his earliest songs, Jesus walked... He, he talked about how the media had a bias against Christianity. He, he said, they say you can rap about anything except for Jesus. That means gun sex 
and videotapes. But if you talk about God, your music won't get played. Kanye West was again telling us what nobody else was willing to tell us. He was absolutely telling us the truth. Kanye be knowing at times. <laughs> and remember, back in 2005, during the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, a storm that caused over $108 billion worth in damages, during the broadcast of a concert to help raise funds to support that community, Kanye West and comedian Mike Myers were, were given the opportunity to address that live broadcast audience. And remember what Kanye said, that infamous statement, that controversial statement. He looked out onto the world and he said, George Bush doesn't care about black people. And Kanye West was telling us the truth. Not that I believe that our then president George Bush was a racist. Not that I actually believed that he didn't care about black people, but given the horrific situation that so many people were facing in New Orleans and how little the government did to help and support those people. It felt as if the government led by our president George Bush didn't care about those people. He, here's the basis of what Kanye was saying. People were suffering. And there was very little that they could do to help themselves. If, if you were old enough to remember some of those images, people in Louisiana at the time were living in some of the most deplorable conditions that you and I have ever seen any American live in. Some of them were floating on waters that covered their homes. And yet, here is the most powerful man in the world. A man who has infinite amount of resources available to him. And with just one phone call, he could have done something to help all those people who needed his help. Yet he did nothing. And from my perspective... It seemed as if George Bush didn't care. And if you think that there is some truth in Kanye West's statement about George Bush not caring about people, that he didn't help immediately, then you could sympathize with what the disciples of Jesus say and accuse Jesus of in our text this morning. Jesus is capable of helping them. They've seen him do great and incredible and amazing things. They know he is in touch with God. He could have done something, but yet he was asleep. And from their perspective, 
It seems as if Jesus doesn't care. And, and if you're honest with yourselves, if we are open and honest with each other this morning, there have been times in your life and in my life where we've been suffering, where we've had to go through some things and, and we've cried out to God and God has just left us in our suffering state and, and you and I have wondered openly about God. Do you care? If you've ever felt that way, then I want to I wanna speak to you this morning. I want to answer your query. I want to give you this word of assurance. Regardless of what you are going through now or what you have been through, never doubt God's care for you. Let me say it again in case you missed it. Regardless of what you're going through or what you have been through, circumstances where God has, has left you wondering whether or not he truly cares, that, that doesn't have to be a question in your life because God absolutely cares. God absolutely cares. That's the word I want to give you this morning. That your circumstances, that your situation in life should never make you question whether or not God truly cares about you. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41 is an epiphany story set in the context of a miracle account described in the terms of an exorcism. If you don't understand that, give me a minute, you will. It's a story where Mark will reveal the true nature of who Jesus is by having Jesus do something that only Jesus can do and Jesus will do it in such a way that if we close our eyes, we would think that Jesus is casting out a demon. This story is the first of four consecutive authenticating stories in which Mark will demonstrate that Jesus has authority over everything in life. We will see through these four stories that Jesus has authority over demons, that Jesus has authority over disease. Jesus has authority even over life and death itself. But, but in this first story, we will see that Jesus has authority over nature. Mark chapter 4 verse 1 sets the scene for us. Jesus was on a boat anchored in the shallow section of the Sea of Galilee, and he is teaching a large crowd about the kingdom of God. When the day was over, as the sun was about to set, Jesus wants to escape this large crowd. So he announces to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Don't, don't miss that. If these words came from the lips, the mouth of any other individual, 
This would simply be a wish, a desire. But coming from the mouth of Jesus, when Jesus says, let's go over to the other side, he's giving his disciples a word of assurance that they will absolutely make it to the destination that they have intended. Jesus says, and he promises, that we'll make it to the other side. Jesus' words are the guarantee of an outcome. Whatever Jesus says will come to pass. And the story sets itself up as one in which the disciples, the apostles, are challenged to believe either the word that Jesus had just spoke or their circumstances. And, and note about the word that Jesus spoke. He gives them the assurance, the promise, that they will make it to the other side, but Jesus does not give them any word about their journey. Just because Jesus has promised them that they'll make it to the other side doesn't mean that their journey will be smooth. Now, that's a word for you this morning. God has given to us a number of promises, some assurances in life, but God never guarantees the journey. He guarantees the outcome of the journey. He says we'll make it to our destination, but it's important for us to remember that that even though he guarantees the outcome of the journey, he never says that the journey will be smooth sailing. He doesn't say that, that we'll never encounter trouble in this life. He doesn't say that, that we'll never experience trials. What he says is that we are more than conquerors, but he never says that, that we won't be engaged in difficulties that, that we'll have to go through life without a fight. Jesus gives them a word of assurance that they'll make it to the other side. But he never promises them that their journey will be smooth sailing, given the nature of the promise that Jesus had just made. It should not be surprising to us as we read this story that while they are traveling to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, they encounter this great storm. Mark says two things about the nature of this great storm. First, this great storm was, was sudden. It came out of nowhere. The disciples were not expecting it. Could you imagine that, that if they saw a cloud in the sky, they, they would have never decided to travel to the other side in the first place. But rather, the, the clouds seemed to give them an indication that there was no storm in sight. This storm came upon them suddenly. Not only did this storm come upon the, the disciples and Jesus suddenly, it was a severe storm as well. As Mark describes the storm, the storm is so rough 
that even the, the disciples who were experienced sailors feared for their lives. You, you know what else comes upon us sometimes suddenly and with severity? Life. Has life ever hit you like this storm? Have you ever experienced a, a circumstance in life that you were not prepared for, that hits you in such a way that it left you reeling after you've paid all of your bills. You receive a, a sudden emergency and no money to handle it. Life can hit you suddenly and with severity. You go to the doctor feeling great. You claim to be in the best shape of your life. You're experiencing no pain. And then the doctor gives you the sudden and severe news that it's cancer. Life has a way of hitting you just like this storm. Life can hit you with things that you do not expect, you aren't prepared for, sudden. And life can hit you with something so intense that it leaves you bowled over in pain, severe. And, and there's something else about the nature of this storm. Mark describes this storm in the same way that the book of Jonah describes the storm that Jonah was caught in. Mark describes this storm as a great windstorm. And the book of Jonah describes the storm that Jonah was caught in as a great windstorm. I think Mark is intentionally drawing upon the book of Jonah to say exactly what was going on in the book of Jonah is what is going on with this storm. In the book of, of Jonah, God sends a storm to get Jonah's attention. And at the end of Mark chapter 4, God sends this storm to get the disciples' attention. This storm was something that God prepared for the disciples so that, they could, so that he could teach them a lesson. There are several lessons that this storm is designed to teach the disciples, which means that there are several lessons that this storm is designed to teach you and I. The first lesson is a lesson positively about discipleship. Mark wants to teach us through this storm what it means to be a discipleship. There, there's this contrast in the first part of this story between what is going on on the outside of the boat and what is going on on the inside of the boat. Mark describes this intense storm with the winds blowing and, and the sea raging. There's chaos outside of the boat. But, but then when we get on the inside of the boat, Jesus is sleeping. There's this great 
storm on the outside, but Jesus is sleeping. What, what, what is going on here? The intensity of the storm would suggest that not even a dead man could sleep through this kind of storm. <laughs> what Jesus is trying to do is give us a lesson on the nature of discipleship. In, in Mark's gospel, Jesus serves a twofold role. First, Jesus is the Son of God. He's our great Savior and our Redeemer who, who loosens us from our enslavement to sin. Jesus is the one who will die as a ransom for you and I. That's his first role. But Jesus also plays a, a second role. Jesus is also the ideal disciple. Jesus in Mark's gospel models for us how you and I should be. And, and in sleeping on the boat, Jesus is modeling for us how disciples respond to storms in their lives. As an ideal disciple, when you and I face severe and sudden storms, regardless of their intensity, we sleep. We sleep because we know, regardless of how intense the storm is, God is still in control. We, we sleep because we know worrying about the severity of the storm will do nothing to calm the storm. Only God can calm the storms in our lives. We sleep because we know that God is still at work in our lives and that we are in God's hands. Disciples have the ability to sleep through every storm because our hearts and our minds aren't focused on the storm. They are focused on God. The trials of life should not disturb the peaceful slumber of the person who trusts in God. Listen to what Psalm 4, 8 says. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Sleep is the only and proper response for anyone who is confident in God's care for their lives. I'm, I'm going to let you in the walls of my house. I live in Harlem with my wife, and, and just about every week, me and my wife have an argument about who does something better. <laughs> we argue about who dresses better. I do. We argue about who cooks better. I do. We argue about just about everything. I do it better. <laughs> Though, truthfully, there are certain things that my wife can claim to be superior to me, if not equal to me, about. There's one thing absolutely that I know my wife can't do better than me. I'm going to settle an argument. An argument from the Phil Zame household, but, but I'm going to read it out into the world. You, you know how men and women always argue about who, who drives better? Men do. 
Me and my wife always argue about who, who drives better. I, I, I do. No question about it. And, and I've got proof. Years, several years ago, when my wife and I lived in, in Chicago, I was invited to preach in Washington, D.C. I think it's about a, a 12-hour drive. And, and for whatever reason, it was around Christmas time. I, I couldn't find a flight to, to get to D.C., so, so we had to drive, and, and my wife decided to drive with me. Going there, we took it easy. You know, we stayed, stopped a couple of times, spent the night in a couple of different cities. We hung out, but, but getting back, because I had to preach a watch night service, I needed to make that drive in one day, and, and this is what we agreed to do. I would start the drive early, but then when I got tired, I would hand her over the wheel, and, and she would drive. So, so you know what I did. I, I got behind the wheel. I, I did about six, seven, eight hours straight. Then I gave her the wheel. My intention was when she drove, I would sleep for about three, four hours before getting up and, and finishing the drive. But she got behind the wheel, and I tried to sleep, and all I kept hearing was, clunk, 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 clunk. I couldn't sleep. She was pulling over into other lanes. She, she was driving behind people going 100 miles an hour. You, you, you know how when you're driving on the highway and you hear a sudden noise, your heart starts pounding, bump, 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 bump. So I couldn't sleep. After about 30 minutes of her driving, I was like, pull over. <laughs> Let me take over. And soon as I got back behind the wheel and I started driving, I looked over and guess what she was doing? <laughs> she sleep. You know why she was sleeping? She knew she had somebody behind the wheel who would get her to the house safely. <laughs> she knew she had somebody behind the wheel who knew what he was doing. <laughs> she knew she had somebody behind the wheel who was able to handle any obstacle that the road put in his way. Come here, Aha. If you trust God with your salvation, if you've confessed that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, you've put Jesus behind the wheel of your life. And if Jesus is behind the wheel of your life, you have somebody who can get you to your destination safely. If Jesus is behind the wheel of your life, you have somebody who can maneuver over every obstacle that your road will have. If you have Jesus behind the wheel of your life, you, you have somebody who knows what they're doing. And if Jesus is behind the wheel of your life, then guess what? You can go to sleep. You can sleep soundly, knowing that God is in control. He's driving, he's maneuvering, he's taking care of everything else so that you can sleep soundly. In Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, we, we have a positive example. 
through Jesus' modeling for us how disciples respond to storms in life. We sleep. Circumstances should not affect your slumber because you trust in God. But then in this story, we also have a, a negative example of what discipleship doesn't look like. You, you see, there, there's this first contrast between what is going on outside of the boat and what is going on inside of the boat with Jesus sleeping. Then there's this second contrast between Jesus' response to the storm and the disciples' response to the storm. Jesus is not woken by the suddenness or the severity of the storm. What, what wakes Jesus up? The disciples who are on the boat with them. While Jesus is so calm that he's able to sleep, the disciples are so anxious that they panic. And then they ask this question. Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Here, here's, here's the assumption. The assumption is that because Jesus has done nothing, he doesn't care. The assumption, because Jesus has done nothing, he doesn't care. And this will not be the last time that the disciples will make this accusation. There will be several times throughout the gospel. Why? Because Jesus is, is seemingly doing nothing, the disciples reach this conclusion that maybe he, he doesn't care. Things, however, will, will change drastically and dramatically for the disciples once they get to the cross. After the cross, they will never ask the question ever again, Jesus God, do you care about me? Because the cross will be, for the disciples, proof positive that God does care. The, the disciples have the right to ask this question because they are looking forward toward the cross. They, they can't see it. They can't see what God, what Jesus will sacrifice on their behalf so that they can know finally and fully that, that God, Jesus, does care. So they have an excuse. They can't see the cross. But because we can see the cross, because the, the cross does not lie in front of us, the cross lies behind us. We don't have an excuse. You and I should never ask the question, God, do you care for me? Because God has declared that he cares for us through the sacrifice of his son on the cross, the lashes that Jesus took for us says Jesus cares. The cross that he carried for us says Jesus cares. The nails that were nailed into his hands and his feet 
says to us, Jesus cares. The spear that was thrust into his side says, Jesus cares for you and I who at times wonder because of our circumstances, like the disciples wondered in, in this story, does Jesus care? Look to the cross. Look to the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. See the, the thorns on his head. See the scars on his side and in his hands. And know for certain, Jesus cares. Jesus cares. He does. He does, but, but that still doesn't answer the question. If, pastor, we know that Jesus cares, why does he continually put us in positions where we have to experience storms? I, I, I think I can answer that. I come from a church where a lot of our members are professional actors. A lot of them have, have played either on, on the stage in Broadway or, or have done some type of television, be it a, a sitcom, a drama, or, or even a commercial. And, and, and I learned this. The worst thing for an actor to have happen to an actor is to be typecast. I want to go through my notes because I want to give you the, the definition of what it means to be typecast. When an actor is typecast, it simply means that they are restricted to a particular role without ever knowing it. Think of someone like, like, like Samuel Jackson. Doesn't Samuel Jackson seem to play the same role <laughs> regardless of what movie he's in or, 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 or someone else? Uh, the, the, the guy from Family Matters, I forgot his name, Reginald Val Johnson. Doesn't he seem to play the, the same fat, funny cop in everything that he does? That There are other people who, who, who have been typecast. An, an actor like Ryan Reynolds. He's the same person in every movie. Vin Diesel is the same person in every movie. And, and actors hate to be typecast because they want the world to know that, that there's some depth to their acting. That whatever role you ask them to play, they can play. Think, think of an actor like Denzel Washington. He's played a bad guy. He's played a good guy. He's played a funny guy. He's played a sensitive guy. Whatever role you ask Denzel to play, Denzel can play it. And, and God doesn't want to be typecast in our lives. He wants us to know that whatever role you ask him or you need him to play, he can play it. So here's what, what God will do. God will produce and direct a movie that you and him are starring in. And to show you his versatility, God will put you in uncomfortable positions so that you can know he can be whatever you need him to be whenever you need him to be it. 
He, he'll put you in trouble so you can know that he's a lawyer in the courtroom. He'll put you in a tough position where all your friends have left you so you can know he's a friend for you at midnight. He, he'll put you in a position where you're sick so you can know that, that your God is able to play the role of a doctor in a sick room. He'll, he'll put you in a position where, where you have no one else to lean on so, so that you can know that your God is able to play your, your, the person who will never forsake you or leave you. He, he'll put you in a position where there's anxiety in your life so you can know that God is able to be your peace. God will allow you to be put in different circumstances so that you can know that God can be whatever you need him to be. If, if you need financial help this morning, God can be your provider. If, if, if you're feeling like you need safety, God can be your protection. Here's the good news why God won't allow himself to be typecast. Every one of us this morning needs something different from God. Every one of us this morning needs something different from God. And the good news is that even though we all need something different from God, God can be what all of us need. Let me say it again. <laughs> even though we all need something different from God, the same God can be what we all need. Because whatever you need in life, God can be it. But, but there, there's one more thing I want to I show you about this text. After the, the disciples wake up Jesus, Jesus does two rebukes. The second rebuke is to the disciples. He rebukes them for their lack of faith. But the first rebuke is to the storm. Jesus actually speaks to the storm, and the storm listens. Jesus speaks to the storm, and the storm listens. Now, that, that never happened to me. <laughs> Remember when, when we were growing up, and it would be raining, and, and, and we would want to go outside, so, so we would look from our window, and, and we would all sing this song, rain, rain go away, come back another day. To, the rain never listened to me when I said that. And, and I used to think that the rain never listened to me because the rain doesn't have ears. But, but the reason the rain never listened to me was because I was the wrong person to speak to the storm. You see, the, the rain has ears. The waves have ears. The lightning has ears. The thunder has ears. But they only listen to Jesus. You just missed your shouting point right there. 
The rain has ears. The waves have ears. The lightning has ears. The thunder has ears. But they don't listen to me. They don't listen to you. They only listen to Jesus. So when the storms hit your life, are you asking Jesus to speak to them? Or are you trying to speak to the storms on your own? Because the storms of your life won't listen to you. They'll only listen to Jesus. Will you pray with me? Jesus, will you speak to our storms right now? Will you rebuke the storms of depression, the storms of addiction, the storms of lack, the storms of insufficiency, the storms of discouragement. Because Jesus, we've tried speaking to these storms on our own. They just won't listen to us. So will you rebuke them on our behalf? Will you quiet them? Will you settle them? Will you speak to them? And Lord, because the storms only listen to you, will you help us develop a consistent habit where we don't try to take matters into our own hands and and speak to our storms ourselves, but rather, Father God, would you teach us to go to you in prayer? Will you teach us to cry out to you, to call out to you so that you can speak to the storms on our behalf? Will you help us to become less sufficient on us, less dependent on our own strength and on our own power, but more dependent on you, Father God. And because we know that the storms only listen to you, Father God, but you do listen to our praise, you do listen to our worship, Lord God that we will praise you and worship you in advance. As you prepare to speak to our storms, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I, I, I kind of cut my sermon short, but I, I, I just need one more minute. At the end of the story,
Uh, the disciples amazed by what Jesus had just done. They asked this question. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. That's the question that Mark is trying to answer in his gospel. Who is this? Who is this? The Psalms help us answer this question. Here's what the Psalms say about God. Psalm 89, 9. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. Who is this? That even the waves obey him. Psalm 93, verse 4. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters. Mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Who is this? That even the waves obey him. Psalm 107, verses 28 and 29. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storms to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Who is this? That even the waves obey him. Who is he? He is Lord God Almighty. He is creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the one who commands the storms and the storms listen. And if the storms have the good sense to listen to God, shouldn't you and I do the same? Amen. It is a tradition, the church that I pastor, it's a tradition that this church shares that the first Sunday of every month, we join in celebrating the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. As you came into the sanctuary this morning, you should have received uh, uh, the elements. This is something that we shouldn't enter into lightly. Because in celebrating this ceremony, we are again reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And whenever you receive the bread and the cup, you should be reminded afresh how much Jesus cares for you. His body was broken. His blood was spilled for you. The Apostle Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And he says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us eat the common body of Christ together. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes and he's coming again. Let us drink together. As we stand to receive the benediction. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. That's the word I want you to be reminded of. As we try to recover from the storm, as we try to rebuild our lives, as we try to put the broken pieces of our lives back together again, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, and he's talking about us. We are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Depart now in the fellowship of God the Father, and as you go, remember, by the goodness of God you are brought into this world, and, and by the love of God you are being kept even unto this very hour, but by the grace of God, as fully revealed in the face of Jesus, you are being redeemed. And yes, Jesus loves me. Amen. Amen.